Wow. And so you even kind of had that as one of your main goals was to really get into the studio scene specifically. A hundred percent. I moved here to be a session guitarist. Welcome back to the Pickup Music Pod, where we help you improve your guitar skills. My name's Carl Kerfoot. I'm head of education. And our special guest today is Mr. Andrew Sinewick. Andrew is a Grammy-winning guitarist, session musician, and solo artist based in Los Angeles. As a session guitarist, he's played on countless films and TV shows. Things like Frozen, Coco, Spider-Man, The Simpsons, The Walking Dead, the list goes on and on. Now he's also collaborated with artists such as The Who and Alanis Morissette, Lil Nas X, Robbie Robertson, those are two names that you don't hear back to back very often, Ariana Grande, Michael Buble, Elton John, Carole King, Mark Anthony, just to name a few. In our conversation, we talked about what being a top call session musician in LA actually involves these days. We talked a little bit about gear, and he gave us some tips for how to improve your workflow when recording. We also talked a little bit about his writing and recording process as an artist, and checked out a track from his new album called Fun. It was really interesting for me to hear how intentional he had been with his pursuit of being a session musician. He came to LA with that specific goal in mind. He worked really hard at it. He prioritized it and his hard work has paid off. So most of us are not going to be the next great LA session musician, but regardless of where you're at with your musical journey, if there's something to maybe take away from this conversation, Perhaps it's that sometimes the more specific you are with your goals in music, the more likely you are to achieve them. With that being said, let's get into this conversation with Andrew Sinewick. Andrew, so welcome to the Pickup Music Pod. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate you having me on. As you know, this is a guitar education podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about how you learned guitar? Uh, maybe some stories from, you know, what inspired you to pick up the instrument, any inspiring teachers throughout your life. I know you went to College of uh, University of Miami. And then a little bit about like kind of what inspires you today, you know, uh, as far as what inspires you to still pick up the instrument today. So I guess kind of like three questions there. Well, I'm I'm the youngest of three boys and my two older brothers were way into music. This is pre-internet era. So there was kind of less to be distracted with. And uh, I just kind of was always aware of music and we had records around the house and I would, you know, everything from Michael Jackson to R.E.M. And then later I was kind of like a metal kid and and um, I just kind of wanted to do that thing. There was a video of the Who uh, Tommy anniversary concert that like was airing on network television. And I remember just seeing um, the guys in the band and being like, I want to do that, you know. Um, and I actually was going to start as a drummer because I thought, well, that because my middle brother played guitar and I thought, well, that'd be great because we could start a band. But then I realized th that actually entailed learning snare drum rudiments and carrying the snare drum back and forth to school every day and, and not just starting right out with the drum set. So I, I switched to guitar like on the second day <laughs> made a wise and, uh, choice i think yeah and i <laughs> just kind of played in garage bands and did that whole thing and got more and more into it got kind of was always drawn to anything i think like a lot of um young kids it's like oh wow that's technical and fast and that's exciting so any kind of weird technical music i was kind of drawn to which uh, included you know like i said like metal but also jazz and stuff like that that seemed 
uh, kind of on the fringe of of what other people might like. For some reason, I'm often drawn to stuff like that. So uh, wow. yeah. So like even at a young even at a young age, you were drawn to even, like jazz. Like we're talking pre college, even right? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think my uh, kind of the, the, it looked like. Um, I don't know, like let's say Pantera, but then also Dream Theater. And then in Dream Theater, I heard like they would have these little sections that were definitely not metal. I mean, it was almost like kind of new agey, smooth jazz stuff. And I was like, that's kind of cool. Like, what is that? And then I, you know, again, before internet era, I would read guitar magazines cover to cover. Like, it's just because it's like, that's all there is. I'm going to get every last uh, drop out of it that I can, you know, a drop of information there. So like uh, John Petrucci, the guitarist in Dream Theater would say, oh, I'm a big fan of Steve Morse. So then I got way into Steve Morse, still am. And then he would say, I'm a big fan of John McLaughlin. So then I got way into like Mahavishnu Orchestra and stuff like that. And then go, oh, okay, he played with Miles Davis. And now I'm listening to like Bitches Brew and, and that kind of 70s stuff. And then eventually back farther into more straight ahead jazz. Um, when I was about 15, I met a working guitarist in my area who was pretty much like a way into bebop you know like way into jazz and uh and he really like you know played me west montgomery and george benson and all that stuff and that's you know he he was a great um influence there the town that i grew up in it wasn't like super saturated with um musicians or quote-unquote artisty people so but there were a lot of restaurants and, and things like that. So I was able to get some real world experience playing, you know, background solo guitar at a restaurant or a Barnes and Noble or stuff like that um, at a pretty early age. You grew up where? Um, Annapolis, Maryland, actually just outside of that, uh, Edgewater. It's about halfway in between Baltimore and D.C. So there was, you know, there was stuff, but it wasn't like L.A. where everybody's in a band trying to do something. You know, there was actually kind of opportunities. Yeah, right. Oh, that's cool. So what about guitar teachers or or was it purely from your brothers and, you know, guitar magazines, as you mentioned? Well, I uh, yes. And I so I, that teacher I mentioned, uh, the working guitarist, his name's Tom Lagana. Shout out, Tom. He's still there uh, doing great things. And uh, he that was like a huge uh, influence. And he actually was like, man, there's this, you know, you should go to University of Miami. And then I realized a bunch of my favorite musicians had gone there. And so that kind of became like, oh, yeah, I have to go there. So, yeah, I ended up going to the University of Miami and studying. I believe that it was called uh, Studio Music and Jazz was the that's what I got my degree in, folks. So if anybody needs a coffee. I'll be there. <laughs> I can make one for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds similar to like what I got at USC, like studio jazz yeah. guitar, like whatever the hell that means. Well, it was um, great. I, I will say um, it, it's funny. You hear so many things about how college is worthless. But if you if you think about it as like, look, it's a place to go to get your thing together and just really work really hard and know that, okay, when this time, when the clock strikes, you know, midnight or whatever, it's you and your guitar versus the world. <laughs> I mean, I went there with that mentality. Like, okay, yeah, I got four good. years to 
be able to eat with me and these six strings next to me, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I feel like I got a lot out of it and it, it did the thing it was supposed to do, which is like you come out of there and you can pretty much say yes to any gig and sort of do okay at least. Okay, so after college, uh, you you came out pretty much to L.A. right then. Uh, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, when I was in school, uh, again, another benefit of um, of you know being in school or whatever is like uh, I kind of did like a, a sample of all the different aspects of the music uh, industry, at least from the guitar player standpoint. You know, I like I said, I played in restaurants, solo guitar. I taught a little bit. I played on cruise ships. I was in an original band. I was in a wedding band. I did some touring for other artists and I did studio work. And out of all of that, the place where I really felt the most alive and inspired was doing studio work. So so for me, I just thought, you know, why not try my hand at uh, the recording capital of the world? And so I decided to move to LA. Wow. And so you even kind of had that as one of your main goals was to really get into the studio scene specifically. A hundred percent. I moved here to be a session guitarist. And if I ever hit a fork in the road or uh, one of those things where you can't be in two places at once and you have to pick, do I take this touring gig or do I just try and have some faith that the session thing will come through? I always took the session route. If there was ever a, you know, a question, I always... Any every decision I made really was like, how is this going to help my studio career? Wow, that's amazing that you had that kind of conviction uh, at that age. Yeah, well, it's just so. I mean, it seemed like, and I think it is so difficult to make it happen that I just knew, like, I mean, you have to, you kind of have to devote your entire life to it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's not like. Uh, it's not an easy gig to get or to keep or uh, to break into, you know. So, yeah, it, like I said, it, every decision I made was, will this bring me closer to being a, a session guitarist? Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting to me because um, you are, you're kind of at this age where you're you're not old enough to be a part of like the original like studio guys and you're you're also a little bit older than maybe like the younger people that are trying to get into the biz um and and what you do is so niche in a in a in a great way like there's really only a handful of people doing it in LA let alone the whole world you know is it do you think it's possible to even kind of do what you did like is that is it does it exist anymore or is it just changed Yes, I think it's possible. Yes, I think it's changed. I mean, it, I was talking with a friend last night about how it seemed like for the first 20 years of our life, everything was kind of the same. And now every day it's like paradigm shift. Paradigm shift. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it certainly has changed. I mean, a lot of the work I do is from home. Um, but the the basic building blocks of music and, and certainly the basic skill set is still the same, which is... Um, you know, honestly, people skills and communication, and then all of the music stuff that you can kind of learn in a million other places. Right. So if somebody was like, you know, oh man, I want to be a session musician. Well, first of all, do you think that they would have to move to LA or do you think that? Yes. And that's another thing I see thrown around the internet all the time, which is, you know, 
totally ridiculous. Like, oh, you can be, a, you can do anything from anywhere in the world. It's like, that's just not true. I mean, I understand the concept and yes, there's some truth to it, but that's a, a huge, a quantum leap to say that you can just be a session guitarist from, you know, I don't know, fill in the blank. Yeah, Ohio. I, mean, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. If I had not moved here, I would not be talking to you right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's um, so many relationships be, that you have to develop and it just becomes word of mouth, right? Exactly. It's all word of mouth. It's being in the room with somebody and watching them do your thing. It's just not the same doing it far away, you know, remotely. So um, could could you give us like like a little breakdown of, say, the past two weeks? Like what are some projects that you've worked on or two months maybe or whatever? But like to, yeah. for anybody that's listening that might be like, well, what is what does a session musician do exactly? Like, I know a little bit, but just for for everyone else that might be listening, right? Well, how about I give you so like after we hang up, um, I'm going to do a three hour session uh, for a person in Miami, and we're going to do it over Zoom, and then there's another uh, program that I use in Pro Tools, which kind of it basically turns the output of your Pro Tools session into like a radio broadcast. So he can listen from his studio and it's going to sound really good as almost as if he were here with me. And then we use Zoom to communicate. I can see his face and all the nonverbal stuff. Um, that's awesome. What's the name so of that software again yeah, that does that? That's called Audio Movers. Audio Movers. Yeah, got it. So that's uh, when we finish here, that's 10 a.m. to 1. I still kind of try and book everything like it was like a... Uh, you know, a big orchestra session. I sort of try and do 10 to 1, 2 to 5 kind of stuff. It's just, I don't know. It's the way I'm wired at this point. It works out well. As soon as we're done, I'm going to hop in the car and go over to uh, UCLA. There's a big event tonight for a bunch of um, films, which I, I I don't know if it's technically Oscar related or not, but I think it's kind of like a pre-Oscar thing. So, and we're going to, I'm going to play with an orchestra, uh, some music from uh, various films that were released over the, I guess, the last year. And that's, you know, I haven't really seen the music. I, I know what I need because I had it all kind of delivered there already. But um, it's going to be incredible because I know that the other two guitarists are two of my absolute heroes, uh, George Deering and Dean Parks. George Deering. So I get to sit in between those two guys and just shut up and enjoy uh the ride <laughs> yeah talk about inspiration yeah george deering for those that, yeah. that are listening is a legendary uh los angeles session musician guitar player and uh, a lot of other string instruments as well right yeah exactly wow so and then you know also i think you also you just got back from a tour right uh, a mini tour with your own band yeah exactly right. and that's kind of new for me um Again, I mean, jumping back to how we were we were talking about kind of my plans for moving here right out of school, I knew that it would take, I mean, I've been here almost 20 years and that's kind of how long it took me to feel like, okay, I got the session thing cooking. So what I'm hoping to add to that now is, you know, I did spend so many hours in the practice room, like working on my quote unquote artist thing, which, you know, it just means like my compositions and how I deal with them in a live context, I guess. And uh, so I've been trying to focus, um, you know, a bit more on that as well. And just like I, I did a record that just came out uh, back in September. And so, yeah, I did. I put this little tour together to promote the record. 
And uh, that's very new for me and, and actually very exciting because it is so new. That's awesome. Yeah, well, maybe we'll have some time to, to take a listen to a couple clips or talk about the the record in, in just a second. Um, but I, I also want to talk to you a little bit about um, now your your gear collection is massive. I, I, I know that you have like around 90 something guitars or it, stringed instruments or instruments. Um, and a, a garage full of amps that are mic'd up to your, you know, so you can, you can switch between amp heads quickly and all that stuff. Um, uh, what, what's like something that you would, if, if you had to pick like, <clears throat> um, uh, if you had to pick one instrument that would be uh, your, your main axe, what, what would that be? Well, it depends what I'm doing, but for most, um, if it's just all around kind of session work, I have a guitar um, that a buddy of mine actually built for me. And it's kind of like if a Les Paul and a Strat had a baby, uh, it's got two humbucking pickups, but then it also has a tremolo. And I'm using these Fishman uh, Fluence pickups that have like, you can switch between like a million different sounds. So if I have to move really fast and we're not, it's not like, oh, it's an alt country thing or, you know, it's a jazz thing. If it's just kind of like electric guitar, you know, your choice, dealer's choice kind of thing, I'll, I'll go for that guitar. It's made by friend Askin, Askin Guitars. He's also a, he does a lot of repair work in town. So those Fishman pickups, I mean, how, how do you actually switch between the different settings? Like you can get like a single coil sound and then a humbucking sound and et cetera, or? Yeah, exactly. It's, um, so let's see, it has two humbucking modes for each pickup and then you can split into single coil mode and you can also select which coil is active when you're in single coil mode. So they're active, which is I think one of the things that, I mean, as guitar players, we're all kind of relatively traditionalists, I think. So you hear active and you're like, oh, battery, I don't want a battery in my guitar. But I actually, it's rechargeable. So, you know, I, I know this is, uh, an audio podcast, but I'll show you since we're on Zoom. There's a little, um, there's a little thing in the back where you kind of plug it in like an iPhone, and then it just recharges. So yeah, and and those are noiseless too, it's, then, right? Or or uh, they're in single coil mode. There is a little bit of buzz, oh okay, actually. okay, but it's fine. Yeah, it's yeah, they're not. Um, I mean, even with that noiseless backplate, the you know single coil pickups will hold. right. This other thing that has is a hot topic, of course. You know analog versus digital, like plugins, amp sims and all that. Yeah. At like at pickup, we, we've been using the quad cortex. Uh, we also have used plugins in the past for, by neural DSP. I mean, I think it's, it's just economically, it's so much more accessible to people, but you know, I know, I know you're, well, I know you're definitely an analog guy, but are there some digitals, are there some situations where digital is better for you or, um, you know, do producers and composers, that you work with really care anymore? Or is it just like, I want this sound? I do think they care. And it's funny. I mean, we've, we all know that so much of it is in the hands. Right. But I do think that when it's, it's just fun for people to come over and go like, Oh, let's put it through the space echo or, <laughs> you know, you know, so my amps are up here. I'm, my studio is over the garage and the amplifier portion. That's the part that actually makes the tone and, sends it to the speaker 
that's all up here. But the speaker is down in the garage, like under a bunch of blankets, all mic'd up and stuff. So I can I can have it on eleven up here, but it's still you know, but it's not blowing me out of the room. Right. But it is so loud that you can kind of feel it in the floor, and that's fun for people too. Like, oh yeah, it's cranking, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. There's just something to it. There really is, you know. Um, I mean, having said that, yes, I will use. Um, I have various, you know, modelers that if I need to go to somebody's place, uh, it's easy to throw in the car and just take. Or in um, Pro Tools, I have some um, various amp simulators that I'll use. Like there's times where I know they're going to want to um, second guess everything and vote by committee on what it should sound like. And it's just like, you know what, I'm just going to put something on it here and you guys can change it later if you need to. Just a direct um, you know, dry so, guitar signal or something with yeah, yeah, and I'll you know I'll I'll put something on it here so that it's reacting the way that I want it to. Um but that's rare actually. Um it's funny, I feel like for example, um in my Pro Tools template, I always have a DI going, a clean DI track along with the amp. And when I first started doing that, I was like, Oh yeah, you have to do that. Like we need to be able to change the sound. And now, I mean, I still do it because it's just set up that way and it's kind of easy to do. And it's, But um, it seems like people are actually less interested in that, which is kind of great, actually. Yeah, I imagine for the workflow, like if you can just nail it from the beginning, then that's obviously the yeah. ideal situation. Which actually, that leads me to another question. With workflow, and I've seen you work in the studio. Um, I don't know if you remember that session where Tolliday was engineering and I was, I was, yeah. I was uh, assisting him. Really fun. Um, And, you know, I got to see you do your thing and and it was like one, usually one take through with the, with the composer there in the control room. And I was really impressed by your, uh, you know, by your reading abilities and then also just how quickly you were able to dial everything in. And then of course, the other aspect of like literally just playing it first or second time. How do you, (laughs) how do you do that? No. Um, You know, do, do you have any tips like, uh, for people that are, you know, maybe just recording at home and they want to just be a little more efficient, like maybe we're not all trying to be, we're not, we're not going to be at this level, but just trying to record our own music or maybe work with other people. Like how do, how do we avoid, you know, taking 20 takes of, of the same freaking part or solo or se- section? Let's see. There's a few different ideas I have about that. I mean, one, the, the, uh, the thought of efficiency just kind of comes up, which is, um, can, is your stuff just plugged in, ready to go so that let's say you have an idea for a song, can you just pick up the guitar and hit the space bar and start recording? You know, that's something that I've definitely um, tried to tried to do here, you know, so that you're not like, oh, wait, where's that cable? Oh, shoot, is this plug-in up to date? Oh, where's my license for my iLock? You know, you got to eliminate all of those barriers so that you can just pick up the guitar and go. That would be one thing. Um, and then secondly, and this is something I try to do, uh, as a hired guitarist is I always try and have my producer hat on too. So it's like, it's weird cause you're, you're the person playing it, but also you're trying to take this like 30,000 foot view, like, okay, I'm putting this solo on a song, but I'm also thinking like, well, what, what's the concept? Is this like I hired Michael Landau to play a solo on this slick pop song or is it, no, it's a guy in a band and he just kind of like, he's not a flashy guitar player, but he has this kind of unique thing. So, you know, like I'm sort of, I've had that brain going too. And then 
to your point about doing a thousand takes, I mean, we've all heard it and it really is true. A lot of times the first take is great, you know, and maybe it's better to, to just uh, to not lose that. You know, obviously in the digital medium, you can playlist everything a thousand times. So I try and kind of mentally bookmark like, hey, I think that second one was actually great except for the end. Try and try and remove yourself, your own ego from the the thing and just put, again, that producer hat on and go, no, that was really the best one for the song, except for the end. Let's just fix the ending or or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm making up a scenario here. So, yeah. So make sure your gear is tight and then kind of think like a producer, almost like take yourself out of it. Those that's yeah. those are two really yeah. great tips. Because a lot of times we get in our own way with like, oh, I suck at the guitar or that oh, that bend was out of tune or I mean, you know, whatever that fill in your own self-talk. Um, but when you're not, it's like, have you ever picked up an instrument that you don't actually play and you're like, like you sit down behind the drums and you're like the greatest drummer in the world and it's so much fun because you're, you don't have that like big neon sign like, oh, I'm a drummer. It's part of who I am, you know, versus for me, like with guitar, I wake up in the morning and I'm a guitarist. It's part of my identity. So there's all this other psychological, you know, baggage that's wrapped up in the guitar thing. Right. So I, but if you can tap into that, like kid just having fun playing something, if you can stay in touch with that, and stop analyzing it from, you know, I mean, that's, that will help you, I think, just, and again, that's what a great producer does, is it's like, cuts through all of that, and just gets to the core of what's, you know, what makes this artistically great, I think. So, try and tap into that mindset if you can. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Um, <clears throat> well, I would love to just uh, have everybody take a listen to this one of these solos from your new record. Um, would you mind just just taking a listen real quick, and then maybe I'll have just a couple questions for you. Sure, that's great. Okay, so this is the solo from the track "Leadfoot" from your album okay. "Fun," and I'm going to fast okay. forward it a little bit here so we can hit the solo.
Oh man, that was amazing. So yeah, it's so it's interesting, uh, you know, talking with you about all these influences that you had, and I hear that too. In in just even that one solo, like there's kind of a like a lot of different influences, but they're put together in a way that feels like new and unique to me. So um, yeah, it's pretty pretty sweet stuff. Um, Thank you. That was my hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this record, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how it was put together and and uh, what was your your process for for recording for writing and recording? Sure. Um, well, the writing process, uh, I'm I'm always writing and um, trying to, you know, I, I come up with some ideas and I go, well, that'd be great for this. This would be great for that. Uh, different contexts in terms of personnel or uh, instrumentation. Um, and I just wanted this record to be a little bit of a continuation of the previous record, which is kind of like mashing these blues, rock and jazz uh, influences in a way that might be somewhat digestible um, for your average person on the street who's not necessarily a guitar player. And um, so, yeah, the writing process uh, was better part of two or three years. And I sort of, I always try and approach this stuff like uh, a band would do or a singer songwriter, which is to say, I maybe wrote 30, uh, compositions and then whittled it down to the best maybe 12 that we actually recorded and then oh, out of those 12 I picked the eight that I thought weren't necessarily the best but the I mean the best yes but more importantly kind of went together and had a theme that tied them all together so that's uh, how I ended up on the eight tracks for this record. Not, got it. Yeah. So, um, and then you guys recorded this um, live sort of together. We did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a great producer engineer um, I've been aware of for many years named Jim Scott. He worked with Rick Rubin for like 20, 30 years, something like that, and did some huge records like Tom Petty, Wildflowers. That's one of my favorite records of all time. Uh, a bunch of the Matthew Sweet stuff, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters, uh, Tedeschi Trucks, Joe Satriani. The list goes on and on. Wilco. Um, and I, over the years, had been kind of checking out his discography. And um, I just, I thought, man, how cool would it be to work with him? And then it turns out my friend Derek Frank actually uh, did a record there. And I was like, wait, he does, you know records for people like little old me so I, derek put us in touch and um yeah we made it happen it, it was incredible he's got this like wonder emporium type of studio uh where you kind of don't even need to bring anything because he's got all these incredible vintage instruments and we all set up in a room looking at each other and there's some you know isolation where we needed it but uh it was great it was you know you get comfortable and it, he's a little bit outside of la so it's almost feels like a location type of recording to where you're not nobody's running to starbucks or there's no visitors popping in or anything like that so and we just kind of hold up there for two and a half days wow made this record yeah yeah it was incredible. the whole record was done in two and a half days yeah so one of the other things i like to do is um rehearse ahead of time and more importantly play a few gigs ahead of time so this band we might have only played one with the exact lineup, but I, I did maybe two or three of that material. 
And there's something about getting in front of people and playing this stuff and going, okay, this part is great. This part maybe doesn't need to be there. We should extend this. We should shorten this. That kind of thing. I mean, actually, the track that we listened to, uh, Lead Foot, that I wrote that like, I don't know, five or six years ago, and I have been kind of playing it. And it always goes over well live. And so that's a, like a perfect example of like, okay, I knew that had to be on there. It's just something about it kind of tended to capture people's interest. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I know that you have to run to uh, your session with your friends in Miami. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thank you so much for your time and for being here, Andrew. It's, um, you know, I've been a, a big fan of your what you do for a long time. And, and it's been a real pleasure to uh, sit down and finally talk to you uh, in this sort of capacity. So thanks, Carl. Likewise, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, bud. Um, Well, thanks again. And we'll see you around. Sounds good. Thanks. So there you have it. My conversation with Andrew Sinewick. You can find Andrew on Instagram and of course on YouTube and on Spotify and anywhere that you listen to music. His album fun is now out. Um, now again, walking away from this conversation, I think the big takeaway for me is try to make your goals more specific. He came out here just to be a session musician and he achieved that goal. So whether your goal is to give yourself three months to say, write, record and release a song, or maybe you want to finally understand your fretboard better. So you complete the entire caged learning pathway at pickup music, whatever it is for you have a think on it and let me know how it goes. By the way, if you liked this unsponsored episode, please give us a like and a subscribe and share it with a friend that really helps us out. So thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you on the next one.